This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hey everybody, it's Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind, and I am back with another edition of Coaching Questions. Today I am joined by another incredible coach, Mr. Mike Shannon. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Scott. I'm looking forward to this. Good to be here. Good. So, uh, Mike, your target audience is primarily men who are in midlife, finding their drinking increasing doing to, due to changes in life, um, and they want to bring it back under control. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what, where, where do your clients normally, what do they come to you with right, when you start working with them? Uh, well, generally, they sort of, it's sort of where I started. And that was sort of somebody who came through, you know, was active. I had kids sort of, you know, sort of normal age, like 24, 25, 26, or 30 when we got, I got married at that age and had kids a little later. Um, we, you know, my boys, I was very active as, as a sports coach with them. I was really into their lives, really doing a lot with them. But then, you know, I just found myself as they got more independent, I had more time to myself. I just found my, my, my transit, my role as a parent changing my role. At, yeah. you know, I was successful at work. I had time. You know, I, my professional life was was going really well, so I had time, I had money, and for me, those are the two things that really you need, right? That it's like the perfect storm. Yeah. As as you sort of move on a little bit, and you get your, um, you know, and, and you have these uh, opportunities to to really, um, you know, and you have less 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 responsibility, right? You find yourself your drinking habits tend to increase a little bit. And I started out as somebody who you know drank on weekends, like like a lot of guys do, you know, watching football games or you know going to you know, Super Bowl parties or whatever it may be. And then as time went on, I found myself, you know, sitting on a couch on a Tuesday night watching or a Monday night or a Wednesday night. And it was, and I thought, okay, well, and it just became part of the, I I started linking those two things together. And so, and gradually that just increased. Right. And I think, and and it it was very subtle and it happened over time. And it, it just all of a sudden, you know, got to the point where, you know, I didn't have any control over it anymore. And I realized that it was control. It was it was just happening. It wasn't something I was consciously making a decision about. And I know that and I know, I know lots of people who I've talked to and similar and men particularly, you know, because maybe they're not, you know, especially if they have work stresses and they have things like that. And you have yeah. a lot of a lot of what I call accelerators as you move forward that really, you know, little things that kind of build up as you get as you become more successful, right? You become you get more responsibility. You have more work stress. You have more maybe family stress. You know, your the stresses on your relationships and things like that because you're not maybe spending as much time together as you were in your early years. A lot of this stuff really adds up, and it gets to a point where, you know, you find yourself, you know, all of a sudden you're drinking a bottle of, you know, sometimes a bottle a night or half a bottle a night, and just to get to sleep, right, and be able to quiet your brain and quiet everything down again. And so that's kind of the so, so for me, that's that's kind of a lot of the a lot of the people I work with are ones that are are in that state where they they don't really know, you know, they they know they want to stop drinking, 
and they know that it's something that they, but this is something that they, they don't, they need, they need some assistance with. They just need some guidance with and some, and to sort of help them get down that, that path a little bit. Uh, and that's basically where I was. And I know I didn't have the benefits of this. And this is the amazing thing about the coaching that we do yeah. is that, you know, we offer something that wasn't around when I stopped and I would have killed for something like this, <laughs> an yeah. opportunity to, to sit and talk with somebody and work through these stresses, especially as a guy. Cause I think there's so much, you know, we have this much machismo, this, this bravado that we sort of have to, you know, you have to drink like a man and the whole thing. And it's, it's a real, it's a real stumbling point for a lot of people. A lot of the guys I talk to it's, it's, you know, they, they grew up in maybe they have an Irish family or, you know, not to stereotype, but you know, they have a, an, you know, a family that, you know, that parties revolve around alcohol and, and yes. get togethers revolve around alcohol. So coming through that and getting over that, um, that initial brain hump, as I call it, to get through just, just so you can actually start to address some of these issues is usually one of the toughest challenges that they face. And so that's usually where we start with a lot of this stuff. But um, I was there. I felt I, I came through this. I, I walked this, this exact same path. And so now I'm kind of dropping some breadcrumbs back and trying to help guide some other folks behind me. So I love that. Are. Yeah, it is funny that like <clears throat> drinking, like male drinking culture, like the sort of like tough guy drinking whiskey thing was a big thing for me too. Um, it was hard to get over. I remember at one point I was talking to someone about it and he was like, why is that such a big deal, right? Why is it such a big deal to you? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just what guys do. Like, it's tough. It's badass. And he's like, don't you realize that the ultimate badass thing is to not drink? Like, if you don't want, like, that is actually the ultimate in punk. <laughs> like, if you yeah. can do that. That yeah. was a huge perspective change for me. Um, but that was just one conversation. And I totally agree with you. Like, I wish the coaching thing was around for me as well. Um, one of the things that I like to say about coaching is that, you know, we can't solve your problem for you, but we can really shorten the amount of time it takes you to right. solve it, right? Yeah. That's what I like about coaching. And I think particularly with guys, <clears throat> talking about these things sometimes isn't the most, um, they're not the most open with, you yeah. know, like I notice this all the time when I coach uh, men versus women, um, men take a little bit longer to kind of get to that, that the, the stuff that's actually bothering them. And I think in a lot of cases, being able to connect with someone who understands these, what did you call them? You know, it's pressures. Accelerators. Uh, or Accelerators, or, or, yeah. Yeah, being with someone who can understand those accelerators just helps so much. Yeah. Um, so where, you know, do you work with guys all over the world? Is there a particular like area you work in? Like, how do you, how do you do it? No, I mean, well, basically it's a lot of the coaching obviously these days is all virtual and then most of the yeah. coaching we do is virtual. Um, so there's no real limitation on, uh, on where, I mean, the, the majority of the men that I coach just out of, cause geographically or North America, like just around, yeah. um, but you know, all, all across North America. And it's, it's really, there's a common thread there amongst, there's a, there's a, a fear factor coming into it. And I think that's the big thing. And it's that stepping out and being, and, and will, and sh willing, being willing to show weakness being willing to right. show yeah because they don't want and and getting as you say punching through that at the initial stage i mean generally speaking if they're if they're if they're sitting in front of a coach and talking to a coach they know that there's something going on when you when yes. you get to that stage you know you know you're you're not just sort of feeling things out you're not going right. through um i mean i mean they had they maybe they maybe gone through a couple of their self-guided alcohol experiments just to sort of feel mm -hmm. how they maybe you know or they've done 30 days here and there just to see how it feels and it doesn't feel quite right and they realize okay i need some help yeah right um, but I think the, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that, I think that's universal. I think that's, I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, we're, I mean, I think that, you know, humanity is universal. So I think every, and al alcohol is universal. It affects yes. every human. It's, as Andy says, it's, you know, it affects blood, bone and, 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 um, you know, and, and 
brains and cells and things exactly the same way. So it's going to, regardless of who you are, wherever you may be on the, on the sort of the, you know, the, the sober or the sobriety spectrum or the alcohol spectrum of a gray area drinker versus, you know, somebody on either end of it, um, you know, it's going to be the same sort of, it's going to be the same conversation. Yes. Except it's just a question of where on that, on that path, as we call it, you know, where on that, are you, are you that you need the, uh, the guidance the most? So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I find that to be so true. And, you know, one last thing I, I just want to talk about a little bit that you brought up, which I see a lot of across our programs is this idea of changing responsibility as time goes on, whether it's going up or down, right? Whether it's, it's more responsibility and more stress or whether it's less responsibility, less stress, more time, right? Um, I see that that sort of inflection point in a lot of people's lives as mm -hmm. being a place where things can really accelerate. Um, again, whether it's like higher stress or whether it's less responsibility, both of those things, interestingly enough, are, are a, a jumping off point, I think, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So when you work with people on that, how do you work them through that? Because those are big, you know, those are big life changes. I know that's a big question, but I just mean, in general, like, how does that process work? How do you talk through that? Um, well, basically simplify it. I, 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 and I mean, for a lot of people, they, they have this vision that, you know, ch changing this, and it is a big change. I mean, I'm not, I'm not belittling the change, but it is just not putting this in your body. <laughs> yeah. And the open and the possibility of opening, opening the doors and opening the windows that can happen when you just take a break and, and just give yourself, and as Andy talks about, give yourself grace, right? Yes. And I think for a lot of guys, that's really hard. It's really hard, hard to not beat yourself up, right? Because mm -hmm. you're supposed to be strong. You're, you're not supposed to be weak. You're not supposed to have this, this, um, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not supposed to be vulnerable. Yeah. Right. And so, and at the initial, the, the most, as I said before, the most important thing is just getting, get, getting to a place where you're comfortable talking about it. Right. And regardless of what, what it is, whether it's, whether you say, whether it's, whether it's a big promotion and you're, and everybody's going out to drink and you want to go celebrate, if you're talking about specific events, right. And you feel the urge you have to drink because you're now the boss or you're now yeah. in a position of authority and you're trying to lead and everybody else is drinking and, you, and they don't, you know, they're going to take their guide from you. Right. They're right. going to take their guidance from the, from their person, the boss who's ahead, right. Um, ahead of them in the line. Um, and, and to sort of to have the strength to be able to say, okay, I'm going to lead by example in this way, as opposed to that way yeah. is huge. Right. And, and all of us, and obviously the, the flip side of that is working through, working through things like grief. Like if somebody has a, like in my case, my, my, when my mom died, that was a huge accelerator for me. That was one of those things yeah. that basically doubled or tripled my alcohol intent or, or um, intake overnight. Yeah. And so, you know, learning new, new coping, learning new coping mechanisms, learning how to, to, you know, cause we've, we've put all of our coping mechanisms into this one, they've all been, they've all been funneled down into this one method, right? It's all we use. We use alcohol to celebrate. We use alcohol to, you know, when we're sad, we use alcohol for everything. And so sort of prying open a little bit and finding new, new ways to do that um, is another way that I think you can really, that, that's, that's usually the emphasis early on when I'm coaching somebody through some of this is to sort of get to the roots of, you know, why they're drinking. You know, is it, yeah. is it you know, and as Andy talks about society, self and um, substance, right? The three yeah. S's and just, you know, which of those is really driving this. Right. And then obviously, as you get further in, you can start to dive a little further down into the their backstory that they tell themselves. Right. About why they have to drink or why they are drinking. Right. And then move on from there. So I love that. What do you say we answer some questions? Sure. Absolutely. All right. Here is question number one goes like this. I stopped drinking for a month and was feeling great. I had some very stressful events happen, a huge trigger for me and started drinking again, thinking it would be short lived. Now, four weeks later, I am frustrated that I'm struggling to stop again. 
Did you have any struggles like this? And is this normal? For those of you listening, I am doing quotation <laughs> fingers. So Mike, is it normal? It's absolutely normal. hundred um, percent. I know the number of times that I tried to take a break, tried to stop, tried to, you know, had successes, maybe did, did 30 days. And there were times where I'd have, you know, whether because I was taking a medication or whether I just decided, okay, I need to take a break. Uh, and got to those 30 days. The key is what are you doing in those 30 days? What are you using those 30 days for? And I think for a lot of people, they, they put up this, this sort of, you know, they have a calendar, they cross the days off and they think, oh, I'm going to get to day 30. It's going to be awesome. But if you don't actually use that to sort of, you know, to uh, build your toolbox, as we talk about, right? We, we, we talk about our, our, you know, the various tools that we can use, the ways that we can get through cravings, the ways that we can, we can understand how our brain works, all these things. If we don't use that time productively to get through that, then by the time you get to those 30 days, you're, you're really not advancing from where you were on day one the first time. So yeah. naturally, then you're going to have that cycle, you know, you're going to have that naturally, you've trained your brain that, okay, it's a 30 day break, then I'm going to go again. Yes. Right. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's, you just kind of over time, you know, you can really, uh, you know, you can get into onto the, I call it the hamster wheel, right, where you get on this hamster wheel, and basically, you just keep going in circles, going in circles, going in circles, and you can't really break out of it. Um, another great, another great metaphor that I know is the, um, is the uh, is the obstacle course right where you get over a certain point you get you get over a big you know if you're running an obstacle course and you think you can get to the end of it you get over the big wall every time and you get to a certain point but then oh I can't do this I can't do this and then so you just say okay I'm going to go back to the beginning again right yeah. so punching through those and I, and I have some clients right yeah. now that I'm working through and I'm really trying to get you know they're having that struggle of getting getting to the finish line yes and a lot of that is that the you know and they're doing the work but in their head they're maybe but maybe they're taking a couple of shortcuts yeah. And so I think the 30 day, the 30 day thing, anytime you put a goal out there, like 30 days, there's a finite end to it. Yeah. Right. And anytime you put an end to something, you then have to restart again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As, as opposed to a continuation. And I think that's, you know, opening the door to, uh, um, you know, doing a week, doing two weeks and then lengthening as we call it, where you just basically mm -hmm. continually and, and you're doing the same thing. You're just extending it over time, over time. Yes. Right. So rather than putting a finite day and say, I did 30 days. Right. And then, and then, you know, dot, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. add on, you know, rather than saying, you know, use it as a, as a, as just a guidepost to say, okay, I just passed 30 days. Now, what did I do in those 30 days? What worked, what didn't work and what can I use going forward? And hopefully that's how you can get off that hamster wheel and, and get a little more progression down the road. Yes. I totally hear that. And yeah, I mean, so it's funny, there's a, we talked a little bit about the self-compassion side of things um, earlier. And there's a phrase that we use, you know, for when this happens, we call it a data point, right? right. Um, and this is one of the things like, you know, the way that this person wrote the question, I had some very stressful events happen, a huge trigger for me and started drinking again, just pulling that, that, that section out of the question that happens, right? That's, right. it's not, and when I say that happens, I don't mean like, it's okay, you know, do it whenever you want to do it, right? We're obviously here because we're trying to change our relationship with alcohol. Yeah. However, I think a lot of people forget how entrenched some of these behavior patterns are, some of these reactions we have. And I mean the word react as opposed to response, right? Like we have something happen, we immediately react. Um, and sometimes when we're in this process of changing our relationship with alcohol, that reaction is grabbing alcohol now at that time, right at that moment. <clears throat> and this is what I'm hearing from this question. Like we have a choice to say, okay, let me take a step back here. What happened? Let me work through what that trigger was. Why in this case is stress so hard for me to deal with? What other things can I do? 
all from a place of curiosity, all from a place of compassion with yourself. Um, because I think we forget the idea that like we, no one got to where they are with alcohol overnight, right? It's not like you had your first drink and then the next day you couldn't stop drinking. That's not the way this goes, right? What happens for us over time is we live our lives with alcohol. We start using our lives, like you said, we start using alcohol to answer any emotional thing that comes up. But this is a pattern that takes a long time. And so we forget that and we think, well, we should just be able to turn it off. Right. Well, no, it doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, right? That doesn't mean it's impossible, but it does mean that these sort of speed bumps are going to happen. Yeah, um, and so, you know, I see this regularly. You know, I see people do this. I see people have a data point, uh, sometimes even after months, right? It happens. Um, but the key thing is not to worry about whether or not it's normal because it absolutely is. The key mm -hmm. thing is to say, okay, here's where I'm at. How did I get here? Right, not from a what what's wrong with you sort of like blamey sort of way, yeah. but from a wow, what actually happened? What can I take away and convert this thing from this really bad choice that I made four weeks ago and now I'm stuck into all right, this is a data point, right? What am I getting out of this? Yeah. And that's ultimately what I like to say to people who are kind of in this position is you know, to ask them the question, like, what are you getting from alcohol? Right? You reached out for it again. What was it that you wanted in that time? Sounds like it's stress relief here. Um, and are you still getting that now? Um, right. And that conversation tends to be tends to be pretty fruitful. Yeah, and I think I think the self compassion side of it is a, is a big component of that too, and the ability to sort of say, you know, it's okay. Yes. Right? And I, I think for a lot of times, you know, you when you especially when you have a, a large, you have a huge goal. Like if your if your goal is to is to completely abstain from alcohol long term, right? You know, any anything that gets in the way of that has you have there's two possible outcomes, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. From that data point, data points can be positive or negative, right? I I, I like to tell my clients that you know, I, I, you know, if if somebody never if somebody just sat down with me and then never drank again, we'd have nothing to talk about week to week, right? The data points <laughs> are where you learn. The data points yeah. are where you actually get. That's where the magic comes from. Mm -hmm. That's where you're able to sit back and say, okay, what happened? Where was I? Who was I with? What was the circumstance around that data point? How can I go about, you know, when, it, is it something that's going to happen again? If it's not, I'm less concerned about it. But if it's something that happens regularly, right, in the event of, in the event of something like a tragic event, or like you're talking, like it was mentioned in the question, you know, if it's something that happened once and it isn't likely to happen again, like a death in the family or something like that, you know, you can, you can put it into your memory bank as to how you might deal with it again, but the odds of it, you're not going to have to deal with the exact same situation again. Right. Yeah. The situations that I'm, I'm more concerned about and the ones I like to coach around are the ones where, you know, you're meeting your brother for, you know, after work one day or you're meeting your, your buddy for, you know, for traditionally, you, you know, you get together with a friend over the holidays every year and you get together and you know it's going to come and right to work through that. Right. And to be able to sort of have compassion to say, OK, if, if I and if I fail and I hate I hate the word failure because I don't I don't I don't mm -hmm. believe it's failure. I believe it more as as you know, to be, you know, as a sidebar kind of positively negative, right? Yeah. You're kind of, you know, you, you had this moment where, you know, you something, something didn't go as you expected, but as a scientist, I'm a scientist by trade, you know, yeah. we, we actually long for those negative results because the negative results are ones that you can go, okay, that didn't work the way I expected. So what can I learn from it? Yes. As opposed to running an experiment that you completely, you have a hypothesis, it runs exactly as you expect. It's like, oh, okay, now what? Right. And maybe you have a, maybe you can guide, go on from there, but generally it's the ones that give you that kind of that, where your head scratch, you're like, why didn't that work the way I thought it did? That's where the magic comes from. And that's where you can really build on. And that's where growth comes from. I love that. That's a great answer. Also, I really like the idea of data points being positive and negative. 
you know, I think a lot of times we use this as a, as a, as a way to say, oh, well, this thing happened, but I'm going to take it as a lesson learned as opposed to I'm weak, right? Or right. this isn't going to work. But data points do happen in the other direction. I've told this story many times, but I remember talking to this, a very similar thing happened to me, but talking to someone who, um, you know, here, I live in Maine, we mm -hmm. sell beer, wine, and hard alcohol in the liquor store. Like there is no separate package store or anything like that here. Um, and so for people who are dealing with this in Maine, like, I mean, it's at the grocery store, man. It's right. not like separated. And so for a lot of us, it was like every time you went to the grocery store, you picked up a bottle of wine. Um, then maybe you start making excuses to go to the grocery store so that you can get a <laughs> bottle of wine. And so um, I was talking to a lady and she was telling me about how she went to the grocery store. It was after work. You know, she went and got all the stuff she needed to get. She, she went through the cashier. She went to her car. And it was then that she realized she didn't even look down the wine aisle. Right. Right. That's an example of a positive data point that is going, Absolutely. holy yeah. cow, I just, I just crossed this hurdle or what I thought was a hurdle. Um, and it, it barely changed my course. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we're the same up here in Ontario. Uh, you know, we have everything except hard alcohol in our grocery stores. So we have beer and wine. And I, I'm sure that there's people that go in and they, they're going in to pick up the bread and milk and they'll pick up a bottle of wine when they're there too. And, Absolutely. And, and it's right in your face. It's usually right, you know, in a section right by the, pro, in our case, it's right by the produce section, which is kind of, you know, because yeah. everybody's going to be buying produce and it's right there. Yes. But, um, yeah. And I think, and, and fortunately for me, that only really started after I um, stopped drinking. Um, we had oh. beer, but, but we yeah. didn't really have wine in the, in the grocery stores. So we had beer and things, but that was about it. Um, so this has been gradually rolled out. And I'm sure hard alcohol is next. I'm sure that'll be the next thing to come out because it's just, you know, it's, it, because of the money aspect of it, right? Absolutely. Um, and so I think the, uh, but yeah, no, that, that whole, that, that ability to walk into, um, you know, an environment like that and not be triggered and not have a cue, right? And be able to just, <clears throat> you know, walk out and realize it after the fact, that's magical. Like to me, that's, yes. that's, that's one of those moments you go like, holy cow, what just happened? Yes. Right? So that's, that's awesome. I love, I love stories like that. Cool. Let's go on to question number two. It is this, just a small question about alcohol-free beer and anything else. Most alcohol-free drinks seem to have zero point something percent alcohol as the alcohol has been extracted. I recognize that a 0.05% drink probably does not have the same impact as a 5% beer. You'd need to drink over 100 bottles to get the same amount of alcohol. Um, but if the amount of alcohol is 0.5%, would that amount of alcohol content affect the delicate balance of chemistry in our brains? So I just want to frame this for a second. I brought this up because I get this question so often, mm -hmm. particularly around alcohol-free beer, particularly from guys. Right. Um, and yeah, so I'll let you answer. I have a lot to say about it, but you can go first. Sure. No, I, I love this question too, because it's also, like I said, I'm also, uh, uh, I also get this question a lot too. And personally, I have, I, I remember when I first stopped drinking, I'll be perfectly honest. When I first stopped drinking, I was, you know, I was a beer drinker. Right. So for me, I had this old adage, you know, I didn't understand what alcohol free beer, what the point of alcohol free beer was when I was drinking. So why should I now? Right. Um, but having said that, I've now come almost a complete 180 on it in the sense that, you know, some people, I mean, it's it, sometimes it's the taste. Sometimes it's just having a cold something in your hand while you're barbecuing. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's just it, and it, it depends to me. It comes down 100 percent to why you're drinking it. Like, why are you reaching for that alcohol-free beer as opposed to a carbonated water, as opposed to a, you know, a, a water and lime or water and lemon or whatever it is. 
Uh, if you're doing it because you know in, in your mind it's it's close to what you had before, then it's and you're and you're sort of and and if there's any sense of longing while you're drinking that, saying oh, I wish this had more alcohol in it, then that's kind of a red flag for me. Mm -hmm. Right. However, if it's just something to get you through the night, if you find yourself just just if you're sitting on the couch watching a football game, you know, and you're, you know, and traditionally you've always had something in your hand, right? Whether it's alcohol free or not, um, it really doesn't. You know, it's not going to impact. You know, it, alcohol free if it gets you through that night, by all means. Yeah. And the point five thing. I mean, kombucha is point five as well. I know a lot of people use you know drink kombucha for a lot. At least a lot of those. A lot of they are as well. Um, once again, I think I think. If you get too hung up on the percentage, as you said, you're going to have to drink a hell of a lot of that stuff in order to have yeah. any 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 physiological impact. Yeah. Um, but the psychological impact, I think, is the bigger question, right? It's that what are you drinking it for? Yes. Right. And and, and if you feel in in your mind, if you feel that there's a danger to to it getting you like back on the slope again, then I'd avoid it, especially early on. Yeah. Right. I love an alcohol free beer now. Like I'll go, you know, if I'm, I'm even sometimes even like I'm, if I'm sitting on the couch now, I'll just decide, you know, I, I keep some, I keep some Budweiser 0.0 and some Heineken 0.0 in the fridge. I love those. They're great. Beer. They're really, they've, they've really made an, put in an effort to make it taste like to take it, taste good yeah. to beer drinkers who people who have that taste. It doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy, you know, 9% craft beer tomorrow. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think it depends. It comes down to, to why you're drinking it. I think physiological, it's not going to have an impact, but the psychological is something you really have to watch for. Totally. And I, you know, I think whether or not on the, well, let me answer the physiological part, then I'll talk about the psychological part. So the physiological part, hundred percent, like it's going to take a lot to actually affect you. However, the one thing that I do recommend people do, because I've, I've talked to people before who have like, maybe they would normally have one or two beers and they find themselves like, thrown back 10, right? Like 0.5% beers, right? Like, so there's an element of this where you need to be honest with yourself. But the fact is, once you get to a place where you're alcohol free, and you've been living that way for a while, that's going to become very easy. I think where it's really difficult is in those very early days, yeah. right? In those like day one or day two, you know, and, and what I have seen happen in the past, and this doesn't happen all the time, by any means, is people will drink a lot of that um, because they're kind of longing for that idea, like you said, like, oh, maybe maybe this will help with something, but it's okay because it's NA. Um, right. So that that is something to watch out for. But again, it's fairly rare and it's all based on how you feel. It's not it's not something that necessarily sneaks up on you. You'll notice the thoughts, you know, you'll notice mm -hmm. the emotions um, and it's something you can work on. On the psychological side, I see a lot of, I see this shifting for a lot of people. I know it did for me too. Um, when I first quit drinking, I was really kind of struggling with like, what do I do when I get home? Right. Cause that was always my routine it was like, come home, put down my bag, take off my shoes, give everyone a hug and pour a drink. Um, I was the same, except sometimes it went, it went the hug and the drink were, were flipped around. <laughs> I was being kind to myself, but yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I like, I didn't know what to do with that routine. And so, um, I had seltzer instead. So I just did the same routine with seltzer. Um, <clears throat> but then one day I was at the market and I saw um, like some of this like really super fancy root beer and it's root beer has never really been a thing for me, but I'm like, you know what, this is good. You know, it had been, it had, I don't know. It was like a month in or so. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to try this. Right. So anyway, I come home, do my thing. I open the root beer. Now the root beer is in brown bottles. Um, yeah. And I had a very specific way that I used to hold a beer bottle. 
So I, I do my routine and I'm like, oh yeah, look, I got this root beer instead. And I open it up and I'm standing there in the kitchen and I'm talking to my wife and I am just racked with anxiety. And I have no idea why. Like I was in a good mood when I came through the door mm -hmm. um, and I look down at my hand and I realize, oh, I am, I am holding this in the same way that I used to hold a beer bottle. Right. And I poured it into a glass and then I was fine. Like I felt it subside. And so I'm telling this story to say that there are, there are definitely elements of memory. There are definitely elements of, you know, our experience. For me, it happened to be that, that certain way of holding that, that root beer. Um, but it's also true with the, the taste of beer. Um, and I know for me personally, early on, I didn't have alcohol-free beer because of that reason. Like I felt like, not that like I felt like I wasn't going to be able to control myself, but it's like, I'm trying to move away from this stuff. I don't know if right. it's something I want to have. Yeah. Now, fast forward like three years, right? I don't really have any alcohol-free anything. Um, and then one day, uh, this was last summer, I was grilling on my deck and I was like, you know, I've heard of this Heineken zero zero thing and it was great. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I was able to experience that. It was a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, and there have been a proliferation of alcohol-free um, breweries popping up, right? Like I, athletic brewing is one of my favorites, but there's a ton of them now. Yeah, part, partakes one of my favorite ones. I don't know if you've yes. heard of that. I haven't, I haven't. Are they, where are they? I think they're based in Calgary out in Canada. They're based in Canada, but I've seen advertising for them in the US. So obviously they import it. Partake, I will check Partake. that out. Yeah. But yeah, so like the, there's a whole world of that available. And now it's something that I explore. I actually recently bought a bottle of alcohol-free whiskey um, which I know is weird. Um, it doesn't really taste that much like whiskey, but it's more of like for making like mocktails and stuff. And yeah. so the world of that stuff is out there, but the question always boils down to on both the physiological and the psychological side, how does it make you feel? Right. right? I think that's the key thing. And I know a lot of times people want these hardline rules, right? They want me to say, nope, you can't have that, you know, but that's, that's not what we do. We don't like rules. No. So the idea of like, you know, does it make you feel better or not? My dad quit drinking. He's been 15 years sober um, and he had alcohol free beer the whole time. Right. He from day one would he would have it like when we were having pizza or like right. when we were having burger, you know, um, and he does not drink it every day. And it hasn't become a, it was not an issue for him, but it's just different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that's, and that's the thing. I think, I think everybody has to sort of find what they're comfortable with, right? And I think, you know, there's, as you say, there's no hard, fast rules. And that's what I love so much about, about this program versus other programs that have, you know, thou shalt not, um, you know, type rules associated with them, or you should not do this, or you should not do that. Um, everybody's going to be different. Like I said, I've, I was, I've, I've converted, like, just like you mentioned, you know, I went from, you know, early on in my, in my first year, I would never have even thought to touch an alcohol-free beer. Right. And I actually frowned on people who, you know, I, deep down, I was kind of judgmental of people who said, oh, yeah, yeah you're just, you're just, you know, hanging on to something. You're going to be back on the, you know, you're going to be back drinking the real stuff before you know it. But now that I've come as far down as I have, I'm almost coming up on three years now, I can really appreciate the fact that, yeah, it's, it's, you know, if it's something that gives you joy and gives you happiness in the moment, right. And is not physically, not physiologically impacting you. As yeah. you mentioned, it's that psychological. That that I love that example with the beer bottle. I assume it was something like Dad's root beer or something like that. The ones that has like the beer Virgil's. bottles. It was Virgil's. Yeah. Yeah, and they all have they all have the same sort of the same sort of bottles. And I could totally I could totally see that. That would be a trigger for me too, because um, there's just you know I just that's there's just a certain shape that, that, that of beer bottle, right? Yeah. 
Um, whereas cans can be ubiquitous. You can be drinking a can of Coke. You can be drinking a can of, you know, Budweiser. It's the same can, right? So it's not, it's going to be, it's just that, that feeling of that cold can in your hand while you're barbecuing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I, I'm, I, I said, basically everybody has their own, um, can develop their own opinions and their own thoughts on it. And, you know, use, do what's comfortable for you. If it doesn't, if you say, if it doesn't feel comfortable, don't do it. I love that. That's like life advice. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we are almost out of time, which means Mike, I get to ask you your curveball question. I saved this one for you um, when I first read it. So here it is. Um, you are going to make a playlist for the rest that you're going to listen to for the rest of your life. And you can only have five songs what are those songs, Mike? I know you're a big music fan. I see that Whoa. on Facebook. <laughs> Five songs, eh? This is going to be pretty obscure, I know, for a lot of people, because there's a lot of, we coming from Canadian, being a Canadian and who listens to a lot of British bands, but uh, five songs. Uh, I've, I can probably tell you which bands they'd be from. That's that works. Which particular songs. Uh, I definitely have something on there from my 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 musical idol, Johnny Marr, who I, I mentioned, I had a chance to meet one opportunity. He's a, he's also, actually all five of these are going to come from people who are non-alcoholic, who don't drink just That's as awesome. a sidebar because my musical tastes have totally migrated into that. Um, but Johnny Marr used to play with the Smiths. I had a chance to meet him after a part, after a, uh, before a show in Toronto here, and he himself doesn't drink anymore. And he's just one of the most down to earth people I ever met. Um, there would be something on there from uh, a band called the Headstones, which is a band from Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Hugh Dillon used to be on a show called Flashpoint <clears throat> in the state, which is where most Americans would probably be familiar with them. There's Ed Lane on Flashpoint. He was in, really heavily into drugs and alcohol uh, and came through that, um, survived that. Um, there'd be actually maybe not all, all of them are alcohol free, but uh, there'd definitely be a, a song on there from uh, the band, the, the, the tragically hip, which is a Canadian band that uh, um, Gord Downey was the lead singer of them passed away from cancer a few years ago. And I know that was one of the trick, that was another trigger for me because he actually passed away about three weeks after my mom passed away. So being one of my favorite bands when my lead singer, the lead singer of my favorite band dies three, what, three weeks after my, or sorry, was diagnosed three weeks after my mom died um, with brain cancer. Uh, so there's three bands. What else have I got here? Um, I'm just trying to think through my Spotify playlist and see, see what else I've, what else I've got in there. Um, there'll probably be something from, um, let me see. Oh, you really put me on the spot on this one. Cause there's so, I know, many, that's why so I like much doing good music out so there. There's so many good bands out there. Um, there'll probably be something from, you know, a band like U2, mm -hmm. um, you know, where the streets have no name or, you know, something like that. Uh, and lastly, um, I'm going to go off the off the off the thing a little bit here, and I'll say it's probably something from New Order, which is a band from the '80s. People are probably familiar yes, with if you're ages same as me. Um, Peter Hook, who's a, Peter, who's the bass player for New Order, is also another out person who's been out, who, who had big time addiction issues in his past, and then uh, came through them and is now alcohol free as well. So he's another one of my uh, sort of one of my guiding lights, one of my inspirations musically. So um, there's a there's there's a little at least like a little eclectic mix of, of music there for you. You came through and I knew you would. Like I said, I saved this one for you. Um, that's awesome. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for hanging out with me for half an hour. If people want to find out more about you, uh, what's your website, Mike? Where can they find uh, the you? Website, well, my, web, my, my coaching website is www.trailblazerlifecoaching.com. Uh, it's also on Facebook as trailblazerlifecoaching.com. And uh, you can also find me on the coaching website of this naked mind. You can, everything's linked linked directly from there too, including, I believe a, which I consider a very old interview with Annie when I did her podcast back in 2018, I think is linked on there as well, which I've, I look back there and I, I sort of 
I like I think about you know that's almost well it's two years ago but wow what two years have been you know between then then and now it's quite the difference so um, if people want more about my backstory and about my history it's all right there so um, but uh, yeah so trailblazerlifecoaching.com and uh, if anybody has any questions you know there's I do free discovery calls so if somebody wants to reach out and have a chat um, by all means awesome. Thank you, Mike. And thank you to those of you listening. I will be back next time with another edition of Coaching Questions. Until then, take care. Did you miss this Naked Mind Live? Do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today. Thank you.